0: It, it is so good to get to be back, I have missed, I have missed getting to be with y'all in person. I I, I just love the spirit of being here. I, I love the, I love getting to worship with y'all and being led in worship by y'all. So thank y'all for, for all that y'all do, all the time y'all put into it, because I know it doesn't just happen. Um, it really is a special place to get to be. Um, and I love this new sermon series. There's a whole bunch of love going on, uh, you know, for, for a hot day in August, but I love this new sermon series that we're getting to kick off this morning. Um, content's under pressure. And, and I reckon that most of us have probably seen this warning sign before. Most of the time we see it on, on, uh, on bottles or on cans or on like big industrial tanks or something. Uh, but on second thought, I think if we're honest, a lot of us would have to admit that, that maybe we should be wearing one of those signs this morning ourselves. Because it's just, there's just this pressure. There are all of these forces that conspire, all of these forces that are pressing down upon us, trying to get us this, this, pressure, to, this pressure to achieve, this pressure to succeed. It's the pressure to win. And I don't know, I don't know about y'all, but sometimes it gets so heavy. Sometimes it gets so hard that, that it even makes it hard to breathe, much less to make anything that looks like a good decision. Because I'm naturally, I'm one that's kind of prone to, to, to anxiety just by by my very nature. I'm anxiety prone, but then you add on top of that, all the extra stress, all the, the extra pressure to have my professional life and to have my personal life to look just so. and. And it's not just a pastor thing, we all know the pressure, the pressure to have our houses and the pressure to have our jobs and the pressure to have our families to meet some sort of some, some artificial, some arbitrary expectation. I mean, we live in these communities, you and I, we live in these zip codes where if our kids aren't splitting atoms or if they aren't playing into majors by the time they're in second grade, it's like somehow we failed them. And we feel like failures, it's that... That pressure, it can be so, so crushing. And so it's no wonder. It's no wonder that even now, before the school year even begins, before we throw ourselves headlong into everything that's about to come, it's no wonder that so many of us are already living in survival mode. In fact, there was this... There was this, this, this great article, this crazy article in the newspaper a couple of weeks ago. It was right at the very beginning of the summer, and there was this story about this, this harrowing west rescue that took place 12 miles off the coast of Corpus Christi. 12 miles out in the, the Gulf of Mexico, the story said that, that the Coast Guard finally went out and they rescued this man 12 miles off the, the, the shore of Corpus Christi. He had apparently fallen off the sailboat that he had been on. And I've been asking people all morning, no one's giving me a straight answer. I, d- I don't know, I don't know why the two other guys on the boat, I don't know why his two buddies who were still on the boat didn't just lower the sails and turn around and get them. I don't know, can you, can you turn a sailboat around? I've actually never been on one. I would assume you can, right? Um, whatever reason, they just kept on trucking or they kept on sailing um, and they just left him there. They left their buddy, they left this guy just there bobbing in the Gulf of Mexico without a life jacket. They left him bobbing in the Gulf of Mexico, him clinging only to an ice chest. Now something does tell me that what was in that ice chest, something tells me that what was in that cooler probably had a little something to do with while he was bobbing in the, uh, bobbing in the Gulf of Mexico clinging to a cooler, but, but regardless, there he was. And from like 4.42, whenever his buddies finally got around to reporting him missing, to quarter past six in the evening, that's about that almost two hours, there he was. He was clinging to that thing. He was clinging to that ice chest as if his life depended on it. Because it did. Survival mode. And for me, the kicker of the story is that after the Coast Guard picked him up, after they they checked him out, saw that he was okay, saw that, that he wasn't really injured, they wound up taking him right back to the boat. The Coast Guard took him right back to to that, that sailboat that he had just toppled off of. Survival mode. Way too many of us are going around living in survival mode. And friends, Jesus didn't die and rise again just so we could merely survive. Jesus came and that we might have life. Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have it abundantly. And so I wonder, I wonder this morning, would you be would you be honest this morning? If not with me, not even with God, you know, would you just be honest with yourself maybe this morning? This morning, what what are you clinging to? What are you clinging to right now? What are you clinging to as if your life depended on on it. What's that thing? What's that thing that's keeping you afloat right now? What's that thing that's keeping you afloat right now, even as the pressures rise? What are you clinging to? And while we're being honest, maybe would you you go one step further and would you agree with me? Would you admit with me that for as many times as we've been around this block, somehow, inevitably, we always end up right back where we began? Somehow we always end up right back on the the same boats, the same old boats that we keep keep falling off of. Because there's got to be a better way. We know this. We know that there is a better way. And that's exactly what we're going to see in our scripture for this morning. That's the warning that we're going to see in our scripture this morning, taken from the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And so if you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and open them up. We're going to be, again, Luke chapter 12. Uh, Open up your Bibles if you have them. Maybe you have a a Bible app on a cell phone or a tablet with you, go ahead and turn it on. Again, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 12, uh, verses uh, verses 16 through 21 this morning. It's one of my favorite of Jesus' parables. So friends, hear the word of the Lord. It says, Then Jesus told them a parable. He said, The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops." And then he said this, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store all of my grain and all of my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So to, so it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich towards God. This guy had this guy had so much too much if we're if we're going to be real. He had too much. He had more than than he he knew what to do with. And so he talked himself he talked himself into this plan. He was going to pull down his barns and then he was going to big, big build bigger ones. He was going to be at a place for, where he could store all of his stuff, all of his, his goods. And then, then he was going to take a break. Then he was going to, he was going to retire soul, he says to himself, soul, take a break, relax, eat, drink, be merry. It's the very picture of a life. It's the, it's the very picture of a soul that has been pressured by, that has been seduced by the myth of more, that's bought into the lie that, that, it's our, that it's our achievement and it's our trophies and it's our money and it's our stuff, that, that that's the stuff that really matters, that that's what really counts. And, uh, and I get it. I get it. That's an easy lie to buy into because it's a lie we want to buy into. But did you notice something? Did you notice something in our scripture? Did you notice that the only person that this rich man talks to, did you know the only person that he talks to is himself? It's probably because he's the only person that he actually really cares about. This guy loves his money. This guy loves his stuff. This guy loves himself. But everybody else, the world, its people, its problems, they never even cross his mind. I mean, this guy legitimately believes, this guy earnestly thinks that all of his achievements, that all of his successes, that it will guarantee, that it will ensure for him a long, carefree, pressureless lifestyle. But in the end, what do we see? All that it ends up doing, all this rich man guarantees for himself is that he will die a pauper. Without anyone to eat or to drink or or to be merry with, Not even God. I mean, for for all intents and purposes, in every conceivable way, this guy, this guy, he is a practicing atheist. And he'd he'd probably take umbrage with that. He'd probably balk at me saying that about him. He'd probably object. He probably would have said, oh, no, 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 no. I believe in God. But just look at it. By the way this man thinks, by the way he plans, the way this guy lives, God... That's not even a part of the equation. And that's why whenever God finally does speak, whenever God booms, whenever God thunders, He speaks these, these terrifying words, you fool. You fool, you missed it. You fool, you forgot. You forgot that you did nothing to deserve any of this. Verse 16 makes that point really clear for us. What's it say? It says, the land of a rich man, produced abundantly. He didn't do anything. It was the land. It was the soil. It was the dirt. You fool, you forgot. You forgot that your muchness was actually meant in order to help other people's meagerness. It wasn't there for you to store up. It was there for you to give away, you fool. You missed the point. You fool. You forgot one, one of the most important, one of the basic truths of life and of faith. And the danger is that, that we live in a culture that wants to turn us into this fool ourselves. We live in a world that, that wants to bend us to the pressure, to the, to the pressure of, of more and better and bigger When all the while the lesson is, when all the while the the point is, we don't need bigger barns. What we need are bigger beliefs. What we need is is a deeper faith, a faith that compels Christ-like action. We don't need bigger barns. We We need bigger beliefs, a stronger walk. A walk that compels, a, a, a walk that, that pressures not just, not just just mere surviving, that, that pressures savoring. That pressures not just mere greatness, but goodness and godliness. Us, us clinging to Jesus. Us clinging to Jesus, the helper and the healer and the Savior of our souls.
1: Don't thank you for that. And to be honest with you, that's a parable. When we hear it, you respond like I do, it's an ouch. I think it speaks to us, it challenges us in ways, and the issue just bubbles up for me is, boy, how do I not make this man's mistake? Then when I face Jesus, he looks at me and says, you fool, how do we deal with the pressure to achieve all around us, and I love the image you gave about the man in the Gulf. We're all clinging to something that we think is going to make life work. We need to change what we cling to if we want to be rich toward God. Two things I want to lift up. We need to be sure that we're clinging to the clock, and that is we need to be aware of the precious nature of time. Look at this man. I mean, He looks very industrious. Busy, 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 working hard, making more, saving more. Very prudent to us, busy, 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 and then we wonder, why does Jesus have this reaction to him? Verse 20, he calls out his life and says, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? What Jesus is saying is, you're living as if you're in control of time. You're forgetting that you're not promised tomorrow. You've got all these great intentions. Let me, I'm busy now in this season of life, but one day I'm going to be available to my family, and one day I'm going to be available to my faith. And Jesus said, you don't know what one day is going to bring. You better learn to be faithful now. You better learn to live the life you dream of now, because we're not promised tomorrow. And we all need to remember that lesson. You know, it's one that always stuck with me growing up. When I was growing up, we were very close to my great-grandparents. My little brother and I spent a lot of time with them. They kept us, and I loved them. I had the coolest, most wonderful great-grandparents you could ever imagine, and we just loved the times we spent. And my mama loved to travel, and I loved to hear her tell stories of the trips that they took. Now somewhere along the way, she planted a dream in my life. She said, one day when you turn 15 and get your driver's license in Louisiana, we got our driver's license at 15, in 1972, we're going to take a trip. d D Daddy and I are going to take you and your little brother Bob, and we're going to go to Yellowstone. Well, I got so excited. This was—I was about seven years old. I thought, this is going to be so cool. This is going to be wonderful, not only to go to Yellowstone, but to go with them because traveling with them just seemed like the most fun adventure you could ever have, and I circled that day. I couldn't wait to turn 15 and get my driver's license and make that trip. The only problem was, in 1970, my great-grandfather had a massive stroke two years before I turned 15, and we never got to make the trip, and that made such an impression on me. And if we have a dream, we have a, an idea, something God lays on our heart, don't put it off. You better do it today. And so, when I had grandchildren, I always dreamed of traveling with your grandchildren. And so, I said right out of the gate, even when they're babies, we're going to take a trip. So, I have drugged poor Jay and Lauren and my grandkids everywhere, even when they were infants. Even when they have no memory of where we went, I thought, if I die, they're going to be able to look back at the picture book and know that we spent time together. So every year we have these great vacations, and this year we went to Chicago. We had the best of times. You know, I love that city. Chandler was there, so many memories of Chandler. We went to museums. We ate the most wonderful food. I finally, for the first time, got to take that architectural cruise on the river. We just had so much fun and had a blast. We rented an old house built in 1913, and we loved the house because on the front porch you could see Lake Michigan. So we were constantly walking there to the beach, and the high temperature was 78, and people are outside biking and playing and their parks, and the grandkids went to the beach all the time. Finally, after kind of testing the water, those of you that know, joy will tell us, Lake Michigan, 58 degrees when we were there. And they finally got brave enough to try it and kind of went in, and then they kind of thought, well, how many times in your life do you get to swim in a great lake? So, let me show you Jack and Will on our vacation. (laughs) 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 Now, if I continued on, the older one, Jack, when he popped out says, Dee Dee Daddy, come join us. You can swim with us, and they were laughing at me because they know I hate cold water. I am a baby about cold water. I have finally determined my degree before I will swim is 85 degrees. I will, if it's 84.7, I will not get in. 85 is my cutoff, but they really wanted me to go, and I thought, okay. Here my grandchildren want to spend time with me. How often will I get to swim in a great lake? And so I could show you the video, but it's too pitiful. (laughs) I will not torture you. I will not embarrass myself because there's a lot of squealing and carrying on from me about that. But I finally, because my grandchildren were there, decided to swim in a great lake. I'm going to just show you a still picture. Now we had to get a ruling. If you only go in as far as your ankle, is that technically swimming or not? And we've been having the debate. Finally we had an expert from Miami who was here at the 930 service, and she said, here's the test of swimming. If you can drown in it, it's swimming. And I finally realized, well, if somebody held me down, stood on my neck, I could drown in it. So I'm going to say that's swimming. I'm being silly. But what it reminded me of is those unique, quirky, weird moments of life that are all around us in ordinary living. What did Jesus say to us? Don't miss it. We're not promised tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen. Live now. I love the words of William Penn. We need to write this on our hearts and let it guide us in our philosophy. He said, I expect to pass through this world but once. Any good, therefore, that I can do, any kindness or abilities that I can show to any fellow creature, let me do it now. Let me not defer it or neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again." We need to not miss the magic of now. Second thing we need to cling to, we need to cling to the Lord. Honestly, this parable, again, is always so troubling to me, because honestly, this man, if he's sinning, and Jesus said he is sinning, sure looks like a nice, respectable sin. You know, he's working hard, and he's saving and making good investments, letting his investments grow and, and maintaining them. This sure looks like a nice, respectable sin, actually like a virtue to us, and we wonder why did Jesus call it out? And Todd, thank you for explaining it. He called it out because this man was all about himself. It was all I and me, and what am I doing, and no word about making this money for others, or using it for the God's business, or, or, or sharing in any way. He was selfish. And in fact, Todd, you're right in the way that he conducted his life. He was like an atheist. God was not in the equation. And so what does Jesus say to him, you fool? Don't you know what's important? But he doesn't stop there. Jesus turns to the crowd, and He turns to us in verse 21, and He said, so it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. We need to learn that lesson so that we can be rich toward God, so that on our judgment day, we don't stand before the Christ and Him say, you fool! I can't believe how you wasted your life and squandered your opportunities. It ought to bother us all. So how can we be rich to the Lord? Again, three little things I'm going to hit very quickly. And one is this. We need to live out of our God connection every day. And the word we use for that is prayer. We need to talk to God. We need to listen to God. We need to commune with God. We need to connect with God and know that He wants to be with us every single day. I started doing something a little interesting that really I, that makes me happy, and that is my prayer times in the morning. I call it my quiet time with the boss as a reminder that I'm not in charge of anything, and my job is to listen and align my life with his principles and go where he wants me to go and do what he wants me to do and be who he wants me to be. He's the boss. This is all his. That man missed that, and we don't need to miss the lesson. After we left Chicago, we got to go spend some time in northern Wisconsin, and I love the state of Wisconsin. Never would imagine how much I enjoyed it, and we drove through Green Bay, and every time with football season about to start, I imagined Vince Lombardi there, and where did he go? And I always look for those places, because I'm a huge Vince Lombardi fan. And I've started thinking about that to a degree. I thought, you know, football season's here, and I'm raring to go. I'm going to take off my shelf an old Vince Lombardi biography to get ready. And I want to urge you, if you have never read a Vince Lombardi biography, do that. Young people, do that. One of the most fascinating people in the last hundred years. There is so much we can learn from his life. Really intriguing, a devout person of faith. Every day he went to Mass. And in his biography, he tells a story. When he was a senior in college, he went on a retreat, and the leader of the retreat shared something with the students that infected Lombardi, and he did this every day. The leader said, every day there are three questions we need to ask, we need to meditate, we need to reflect as we order our lives. Here are the three questions, and Lombardi followed this. Every day we need to ask, where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? And when we do that, we will understand our lives are our offering to God. Every day, we don't do it just once when we come to faith. Every day, we need to offer the Lord our lives as our offering. Stay connected. Stay in communion with Him. That's how we stay rich with God. Second thing, we need to recognize the Lord in our finances. See, this man thought it was all his, I, me, my, these are my plans. He forgot the fact that the Scriptures teach us we own nothing. We are stewards of God's blessing. We are caretakers of what God has given us. Whether we have little, whether we have a lot, it's not ours, it's the Lord's we manage it in a fiduciary responsibility. We're responsible how we have handled what He's entrusted us to, and we need to be acutely aware of Christ's presence as we manage our money. And the word we use to help us do that is a principle laid out in Scripture we know as the tithe. Tithe really means one-tent. It means that we believe the Scripture teaches that whatever we earn, whatever we make, the first tent is the Lord's. And we give it to Him without thinking, without reflecting, it is just God's. He gets the first 10%, and then you and I live, and we manage the the other 90%. And I will tell you, once we have tithed and practiced tithing, there is such a joy. It's one of the things that changed my life in wonderful ways because when we do that, we get rid of the pressure of our culture because it's the Lord's business that we are handling. And we just put our lives in His hands. He wants to be Lord of all of our lives, including Lord of our checkbook. But then the third thing, if we want to be rich toward God, we need to understand that people are more important than money or possessions or things. That is, we're put here to have relationships of love. And we need to make that be a priority, that we have time for our friends and our family that we have time to connect, that we have time to be intimate and deep and really get to know each other and share life together. It's so important that we live out of these relationships and understand that if you want to be happy in life, you know the way to do that? Jesus shows us, help somebody. Just notice somebody who crosses our path, who's hurting somebody who's struggling, somebody who needs a friend, and be willing to help, be available, to be willing to be inconvenienced. you want to help somebody, live like Jesus and connect with other people like Jesus did. You know, it's amazing to me, with school starting, I remember a, a story I heard about a student at the beginning of school wrote an essay on their hero, and it fascinated me what this student wrote. Listen to what they said. Every day since I started chemistry, my teacher has come to school at 6.30 a.m. so that I can get the extra help I need to get a scholarship to college since I cannot afford it. The catch, he's not my chemistry teacher. He's my history teacher, and he is learning right along with me. His dedication gives me hope Every day, people cross our paths. Will we notice? Will we help? Will we respond to the world the way that Jesus did? We want to be rich toward God. I think we're going to have some different value systems than our culture gives us. We're going to understand that true success is not about more, not about bigger, it's about less. It's not about going with the flow and trying to dive into whatever the culture defines success as. It's about understanding that we all need to simplify our lives and focus on those things that matter most. We need to know that a bigger house is not going to satisfy us for long. A bigger bank account bigger bank account, cannot comfort us in the hour of grief. What we need is that connection with the one who will never leave us or forsake us, the one who loves us so much he gave his life for us, and when we connect with him and when we cling to him, then we will be set free from the pressures all around us, and we can live a life that will enable us to be rich toward God. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you teach us. You show us the way. You warn us. But it is so easy to get caught up in the culture all around us. And Lord, we don't want to do that. We don't want to face you on that great judgment day and be called you fool. So help us, Lord, learn the precious nature of time. And when you give us a dream, when you give us a calling, when you give us an idea, help us do it now, because it's true, we're not going to pass this way again. And Lord, help us cling to you. May your connection and, and your values guide us. May we listen to you. May we learn to you. And may we remember why we are here. Lord, come to us and help us follow so that we can be rich toward God. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.